welcome to the Recovery Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Abbasi. I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic and stroke survivor. Today is day 18 for your plank challenge, and that brings us to a little bit of a jump again. I don't know if it's uh, killing you, but it's killing me. Um, I'm shooting for the five minutes, and um, just last night I did 120 seconds, and I was like feeling like I was not going to make it, but um, I'm going to have to because today the five-minute track folks are to do 150 seconds. I believe that that is two and a half minutes. And for the three-minute track, folks, you will be doing 100 seconds. So three minutes, you do 100 seconds. Five minutes, you're doing 150 seconds. Today's episode, we're going to talk about battling with feelings of inadequacy and how that gets intertwined with always trying to be the best at everything compared to others. This was my experience, so that's what I'm going to share about. I talked yesterday about how many of the promises began to unfold for me around the fifth year of sobriety, a little bit the third and fourth, and then in the fifth year of sobriety. So you know that this is really when something big shifted inside of me. I began to feel like I had something to offer others. And this, uh, you know, a glimmer of self-worth. And I hadn't really felt that much in my life. I mean, it's not like I felt like I was worthless, (laughs) you know, throughout my life. I just never felt like... I was great at anything. Um, And I'll talk a little bit about that. So when I think back to my college days, I mean, this goes back before college, but um, I, I really could relate to this idea a lot in my college days. And I wanted to be the best at so many things, and yet I couldn't be the best at anything. Um, So let me explain to you what I mean. Like, when I was in high school, I was in some math classes, and that was where I shined in math. So I was in advanced math classes from, like, seventh grade on. So when I got to my senior year in high school, I was taking calculus. And it was all guys in my class. And I was trying to be the best. You know, I wanted to be the smartest. And if somebody challenged my intelligence, I would get really angry. You know, I would I would get really um, offended. And when I was in my math class, I told my teacher that year that I was going to go to college and study math. And he told me that I shouldn't do that. And 
there was a kid in my class. I still remember his name, but I won't say it. He told me that I needed to stick to punching numbers in a calculator. That's what I do best. So I was getting it from different sides, like that I was not going to be able to do it, you know? So that just made me feel even more so like, all right, well, I'm absolutely going to do it. I'm going to major in math and I'm going to graduate. Like there is nothing that's going to make me not do this now because I'm having these people tell me that I can't. So I did. I went to school um, and studied math while I was there. And I wanted to be the smartest. Well, I was not the smartest. (laughs) Not from day one, I wasn't the smartest and I wasn't going to be ever. Um, There were so many bright people in those classes. But I was able, I was, you know, I was able to hold my own. Um, My drinking definitely got in the way. I think I would have done much better. I know I would have done much better over the years that I was in school if I had not been um, just, just absolutely drunk all the time. And sorry, mom. (laughs) But... But, uh, but I did. I mean, I graduated as a math major. And when I was a freshman, um, I guess second semester freshman, I pledged a sorority. It wasn't necessarily something that I chose on my own to do. I was following the crowd. And I didn't necessarily want to do it, but I did it um, nonetheless. And when I got into the sorority, I felt 100% inadequate. When I was pledging and I had to go into all these sorority um, chapter rooms and sell myself pretty much, Um, I felt okay. Like I didn't feel inadequate when I was talking to everybody because I felt like I was a nice um, person and funny. And that's what I, you know, I felt like that was enough. And it was enough because I ended up getting a, a bid to go in a sorority and I accepted that. Um, it was after I accepted the bid that I started to feel inadequate I felt like I never really fit in. I felt like I was not pretty enough, number one. I felt like I was not cool enough. Um, I felt like I didn't have the, you know, I wasn't friends with the, you know, the the coolest, the best looking, the funniest, the, you know, and, and I didn't know what was wrong with me, why I couldn't fit in. Like, I would see my, my roommate, and if you're listening, I love you. (laughs) Uh, I would, I see my roommate, she also went into a sorority, a different sorority, and, it was like she was best friends with everybody right away. Like, 
I would see all these other people in their sororities that they just entered, and it was like they all had their best friends, and I just never felt that way. I didn't feel like I fit in, and it wasn't because of the sorority that I entered. It it wouldn't have mattered which sorority I entered. I just didn't feel good enough for any of them. I just didn't feel like I fit in. I remember walking into the cafeteria. This happened, I mean, the whole time I was in college. I'd walk into the cafeteria and my sorority had like an area where we would sit, like designated tables really where my sorority would sit. And all the sororities and fraternities had their own designated little areas that they would sit. And when I would come in, I just felt very intimidated walking up to the table like I was, like imposter syndrome, I think, is really the best way to uh, say it. So um, I just felt like I, I wasn't the best at math. And then I entered the sorority and I just wasn't, you know, I wasn't fitting in, it felt like. And I really wasn't necessarily, you know, everybody started dating and I never dated, you know. Um, and I, I just was never enough, it felt like. And then that desire to be the best seemed to be something that was was what I could hyper-focus on, that I could obsess about. One thing that I was the best at that I could control was drinking. I was definitely the best drinker. I remember getting together with all of these guy friends. I had a clique of guy friends that I would hang out with outside of my sorority, and we would have case day, and I remember beating everybody at case day. What does that mean? I finished my case and I was still standing and everybody else either didn't finish or they passed out or they threw up. And um, and so if there's one thing that I was the best at, it was drinking. And I took that, <laughs> you know, I took that very seriously, apparently. Um, so beyond college, you know, in college, I just the drinking just consumed me, honestly. And I ended up uh, barely graduating from college. I, I remember my my professor who I had my first semester freshman year for calculus that I got an A plus in that semester. She asked me my last semester, second semester senior year, if I was supposed to graduate that semester. Um, And I was taking Calculus 5 with her. And I said, yeah, Uh, because I wasn't going to pass the class. Clearly, I I was not going to graduate is what why she was asking me. And uh, that's because I was showing up drunk to her class. And so clearly I couldn't understand anything that was going on in the class because I was I was just miserable. You know, I was hungover or drunk every, all, all the time when I was in those classes. So I wanted to be the best, but I wasn't putting in the effort to be the best. And 
So fast forward, I went off to my careers and I still would take this desire to be the best with me. Um, I, you know, if I'm being totally honest, I have that same thing happening when I started this podcast. Like, I wanted to be the best at it, you know? I wanted to get listeners and I wanted to do, you know, that's not why I started the podcast, but that was this thing that started to consume me with um, how can I make this the best podcast, you know? It doesn't matter what I do. It's like I just have this internal drive to be the best. And that's not the best version of Rachel. That's the best compared to other people. And that is not healthy. Um, I remember when I was working in um, a job in 20 years ago, I was a trainer and I wanted to be the best trainer. Um, and so I just, but, but I did the work that time. <laughs> I remember doing the work. I mean, I worked my butt off so that I could be the best. And I, I don't know if I was the best or not, but I got pretty darn good at it. And I had, um, we have those evaluations after the class where the students say how the teacher was and or the instructor was and I got like raving reviews and that's because I put the work in but why did I do it because I wanted to be the best you know and it's just that's not healthy it's exhausting because it's really a race with no finish line because as soon as I either become the best at something or realize I'm not willing to put in the work to be the best at something or realize that I'm not capable of being the best, then it's a feeling of inadequacy and then I move on to the next thing. Um, it's all or nothing mentality and um, and it feels me, it, it leaves me feeling, I should say, inadequate, like I said, and lonely. So while I was thinking through this idea today, I was thinking about this feeling of loneliness that I always had my whole life, even when I was little. And how is that related? And I feel like you know, that feeling of being inadequate compared to my sorority sisters left me feeling lonely. I feel I felt like I didn't connect 100%. Now, there were a couple sorority sisters that I f- connected with. Um, there were some that I connected with that probably thought that I didn't feel inadequate next to them, but I did. Uh, If I were to tell that person today, you know, I never felt, I I felt so inadequate next to you. The person would probably just be like, oh my gosh, Rachel, why would you think that? You know, but that was truly how I felt. And, um, and so it left me feeling lonely. Um, I think my 
sorority uh, had like 50-something sisters, I believe, at the time that I was in it. And I could sit in a room full of all of them and feel alone because I felt inadequate. I would look around and, and see all of the all of the fabulous things about all of them. You know, I would look around the room and be like, everybody was beautiful. They really, truly were. Everybody was beautiful. And I felt inadequate in that way. Um, we had, there were some that were just, just so smart. And some that were, were leaders. Um, and I remember when, like, when they would, I can't even remember how it worked, but when we would end up having, like, a new president, um, I remember feeling like, oh, well, that w- could never be me. You know, like, I'm not, I'm not popular enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. You know, that's terrible. But that's really how I felt. That could never be me. Um, and when I was a kid, I think that feeling of loneliness, that feeling of inadequacy that led to loneliness, I think that I called that boredom. And I used to always tell my mom, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored. And it was, I think, because I felt lonely. And it's not because my family wasn't giving me attention. It was something else that was in me. You know, I felt like I didn't have enough friends or I, there was just something always wrong um, on the inside of me. And I was either shy or I was loud and craving attention. I was like Mrs. Drama <laughs> and craving attention. I was either craving attention or hiding from attention, depending on what the scenario was. And it was like I was on this, I was trying to find balance on this seesaw uh, all by myself. And by the age of 42, dealing with all of this, it's like chaos. When I think about it back like I am right now, it seems chaotic. This, it seems a little crazy, (laughs) actually. And by, so by the age of 42, I became completely isolated because I just, I didn't feel connected to anything um, anymore. And after I got sober, soon after I got sober, I've talked about this, this night, I was on a business trip in San Francisco. I was walking around the block of my hotel because I needed to stop and get something to eat. But I was afraid to stop because I was afraid I was going to drink. And so I just walked around the block over and over again, because, um, I was thinking like, well, nobody would know. Nobody would know that I would drink. Um, So I just kept walking uh, until I finally realized I would know and my higher power would know. And that was the first time that I actually had this. I actually had this confidence in my concept of my higher power 
because I felt not alone all of a sudden. And I stopped and got something to eat. I didn't drink. I actually had a um, a hot fudge sundae. <laughs> That's what I stopped and ate. And I was just the happiest person on the, on the face of the earth. But that was the first time I didn't feel alone in my solitude. So today, I understand that it's a God of my understanding that fills that void of inadequacy, um, that feeling of being lonely. I have this understanding of my own that I was allowed to create because my uh, sobriety program told me I can. <laughs> you know, that's what I needed. I needed somebody to give me permission to come up with my own concept of a higher power and 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 say it's okay you can do whatever you want Rachel which is you know it's amazing that I needed permission for that but but that's what you know that's how it panned out for me at least so um my higher power I've talked about how it's everyone and everything around me. It's the people in the fellowship. It's um, It grows as I hear their stories every day. You know, I go to that sobriety meeting every morning without fail at 7 a.m. And every time I hear the stories and I listen to their laughter and I hear about their pain and and their setbacks and... Uh, it makes me feel more connected to my higher power. It makes me feel like I connect even stronger with these people because I too can feel empathetic uh, for their pain and their suffering um, and also feel happiness for them when they are laughing and, you know, telling about little victories that they experience in sobriety and in life. And my higher power includes all of those people that I have lost. And this has helped me be able to grieve people that I've lost. Most recently, that was what ended up allowing me to move on and feel like I could still enjoy life after um, my most recent friend passed away. I finally was able to move him over to my higher power, this bucket of things I have that I call my higher power, I was able to put him in it. And, um, and then I was able to start living again, because I really had stalled uh, in a lot of ways. Emotionally, I was stuck um, for, for a while, for a long while, a couple years, to be honest. And um, and my higher power also includes 
nature, you know, all of those things around me. And so just yesterday, I was standing outside. I was uh, with one of the puppies and I was just standing there and the sun was out and I could feel it like on my face. And I went, ah, the sun. (laughs) And I thought, it is so nice to just stand here and feel the sun on my face. And I just closed my eyes and lifted my face towards the sun. And I thought, I'm going to try to articulate what this feels like. (laughs) Because I have a lot of time on my hands. So I was like, is it a blanket? You know, this is my poetic side of me. I'm trying to find these words. I'm like, is it like a blanket? No, it's not necessarily a blanket. Is it like cotton? No. And then I thought, um, it feels like I'm standing by the fire on a cold day. Like I'm standing by um, like a bonfire or something like that on a, on a cold evening or something. It was like that kind of cozy thing. But this is, um, this is similar to how I feel about my connection with this concept of my higher power. There, I, I was trying to put words to that. It feels similar to what it felt like to have the sun on my face when I was outside. Um, it's almost beyond words. It's just like this warmth, this presence, and it makes me feel like I'm not alone. And it's, um, you know, it's like feeling like some I'm being held all the time, you know. I'm being held. It's almost like um, if my mom was holding my hand all the time. I used to, uh, side note, I used to sleep with my mom until it was, um, I was strangely old (laughs) because I just like to sleep with my mom. Anyway, I slept with my mom for a long time and I used to hold her hand when I was sleeping. And that's what it feels like. It feels like I'm holding on to my mom's hand all the time. Um, So this has made all the difference for me um, to be able to to have my sobriety program tell me that you can think whatever you want. You can create your own higher power, whatever concept you want. It's okay do what you want. Nobody's going to make fun of you. Nobody's going to judge you. You don't have to talk about it. You don't have to explain it. You don't have to define it for anybody in words. You know, you just get to keep it and it's your own. Stick it in your pocket and you can keep it. And um, that has made all the difference for me in order to um, lean into this whole idea of having a higher power. And this concept alone, I swear, is why I'm sober today. I swear. It is why I'm sober today. Because I wouldn't be able to stay sober when I'm alone if I felt alone. So um, I'm pretty proud of myself for that. It takes work. You know, it takes... it, It took faith, 
You know, it took like, you know, the thing where you're like, somebody stands behind you and they're like, okay, fall backward and I'm going to catch you. It's that's what it is. Um, that's what it took. So if you happen to chase being the best at things too, like what does this have to do with being the best? Um, because I'll see if I can articulate this. It's like I don't ever just do something. I have to do it with the intention of being the best at it and maybe even perfect at it. And that's just setting myself up for a letdown, like feeling that tug of inadequacy. Um, if you suffer from that kind of self-talk, you're not alone, number one. And I think that need to be the best at something is very much tied up with the feeling of getting acceptance from other people. And, you know, I remember, I will wrap this, I will wrap a big bow around this in the end. I swear it'll make sense. So, like, I remember always wanting to be the best director under my boss. And when I wasn't, if I wasn't getting the attention, if I wasn't getting the most attention or getting the most kudos, then I would work harder. I would work like, because I wanted to be the best. And I would work 12 hour days if I had to, to be the best. And I would do other people's jobs so that I would be the best. Um, and that is not healthy, people. <laughs> it's not healthy. But I would never admit that, you know, I think my boss had an idea that I <laughs> struggled with this, but I would never admit that to the other people there. I don't, yeah, no, I don't think I would do, that's not why I was doing other people's jobs. At least that's not what I communicated at the time. But it was this feeling of inadequacy. It was because I wanted to be the best. If I wasn't the best then I wasn't enough. You know, I wasn't enough. If I wasn't the best, I wasn't enough. And so sometimes I need to recognize that that presence of something greater than myself, no matter what I choose to call it, just like I did in San Francisco, that feeling that I'm not alone and that I'm making I'm making choices for myself. Like when I didn't drink, it wasn't because nobody else would know, like that I thought somebody else would know. I didn't drink because I wouldn't know. You know, I made the choice to not drink for myself and for my higher power. I needed to make sure that I could accept myself and the decisions that I made that night. And I wanted my higher power to, you know, be a, you know, a reinforcing energy. I don't know how to say that. But um, I did, I made the decision that night to not drink for me and for my higher power. And just like that, 
I recognize that when I do my best, I need to be doing my best for me and for my higher power because it doesn't matter what impression I leave on other people. It doesn't matter how I compare to somebody standing next to me. Um, I want to be the best version of me. You know, the only thing I can compare myself to is myself. Am I better than I was yesterday? That's really what I should be comparing myself to. That's all that matters. I mean, much of how much of me being the best director at my job did I take with me when I left my job eight months ago? None. I had nothing. I, I couldn't take any of that with me. It didn't matter in the end. See? It didn't matter. What mattered when I walked away is what I brought with me. And what I brought with me was a better version of myself than I entered into that company as. That is all that mattered in the end. All of those battles, it seems like exhausting when I think back. I'm like, I did all of that. (laughs) And all that mattered really was that I ended up with a better version of me. Yes, that's that's what matters. I mean, of course, there's more that matters. I left some great impressions on people. I made great friends. I I did good work. I probably, uh, you know, I helped in the greater mission of my company, which was an amazing mission. Um, so it's that's not all. But as far as I'm concerned and comparing myself to anything, it's really comparing myself to who I was when I got to that company and who I was when I left. So let's take a moment to feel that warmth, you know, that unexplainable feeling, um, however you define it, whether it's an energy, if it's a higher power, whatever. And to know that it's just you and that energy or that higher power that lays on your pillow at night. And, and that's something that, you know, after I went out to get that, um, having a hard time remembering my words, sorry, my hot fudge Sunday that evening in San Francisco, when I got back to my hotel room, I laid back, I had an amazing little hotel room, but I got in my bed and I laid my head my head down on my pillow and I thought I'm the only one here you know it's just me and my higher power that's laying on this pillow here tonight Um, and I got to come back here with um, with a better version of I'm stronger now laying my pillow down 
than I was last, sorry, lay my head down on my pillow than I was last night when I laid my head down on my pillow. So if you were to walk away from everything that you've built for yourself in your life right now, what would you be taking with you on the inside? We're all connected and we're all significant. But we don't need to compare to anyone else to measure our level of adequacy. I wish I would have known that in college. I wish I would have felt that in college. I'm sure that there are people, young people in college that feel that. I'm, there's got to be. We can't all feel inadequate, you know. But I didn't. I didn't feel that way. And I wish I could have. Um, but I don't regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it, right? I feel that way now. You know, um, sure, there are some times that I get jealous of other people and I feel inadequate. You know, I'm not perfect. It's progress. But I'm, a, I'm able to acknowledge that now and identify it. So I think that working a program for living has helped me with my confidence, for sure. Um, Working the steps and emptying out my dark place has helped me a lot, immensely. And also identifying my values so that I know I'm more familiar with what makes me tick. That has also helped a lot. I know what I, what drives me. I I think that's really important. So that's all for today's episode. And I think we, we should try to remember that we're exactly where we're supposed to be. And we're always enough. Um... So thank you for joining me today on Recovery Daily Podcast. I will talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.